And tell that lonesome liar here on Fuzzy Logic. You're on 2XX Community Radio. And a question for you this morning is what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> what did you have for lunch? What did you have for dinner? And what snacks did you have? Well, we know that the, uh, there's a connection, of course, between your health and what you eat. And every day we're learning new things. Well, earlier this year, I was delighted to uh, interview on Fuzzy Logic some researchers from the University of Canberra, uh, Dr. Chloe Goldsmith. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning. And uh, Shweta Venkaratnam. Good morning, Shweta. Good morning. And uh, now joining us in the studio is uh, Fuzzy Logic regular Camille. Good morning, Camille. Morning, Rod. I'm happy to be a regular now. This is great. <laughs> yes, you are officially a uh, an example of the species Homo fuzziensis. <laughs> And we know that you, uh, Camille, are a science nerd because you are wearing this T-shirt. <laughs> and uh, give us a quick description. <laughs> and later in the show, it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, what's, what's on your shirt, Camille? My shirt has a listing, like I'm a product on a shelf, of all the human ingredients, that all the ingredients you need to make up a human and their percentages. Oh, uh, well, there you go. And uh, that's, that's a really good nerd shirt. I wish I had one. <laughs> Now, uh, we're going to do a reprise of the uh, research that uh, Shweta has been doing for her honours, and I'm amazed this is an honours project. I would have thought it's at least a master's. And um, I'll quickly say, though, that I was a... I volunteered to be a lab bunny (laughs) for you uh, for this project after we did the the show, and uh, it was really interesting. So... Just just tell us about what your project is, Shweta. First of all, I'm glad we didn't scare you away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Invited us back. Yeah, so our project was looking at the link between um, immune cells, which are central in rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease, and the link between nutrition and these immune cells. That's a really good encapsulated summary. <laughs> now, why was I a lab bunny? What were you What were you doing with this particular bunny when I went to your lab? <laughs> you begged us to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we wanted to. Um, so rheumatoid arthritis affects males and females. So we basically wanted. We looked at both females and males with RA, and then we had to compare them with um, healthy controls. And saying that with bunny quotes. So you did this really detailed analysis of uh, of what I eat in a day, in a week, and it was quite interesting. So we'll go through the results of that uh, later. But first, uh, I'd like to drill into a little bit about rheumatoid arthritis because mm-hmm. I don't think we covered much of that mm. last time. What do we know about it? Uh, and I'm thinking like swelling joints, great pain, mm. and a really an unpleasant condition for somebody mm. who has it. So, what what is uh, rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, do you want to join us on? Yeah, yeah, sure. You can start. So, yeah, in <laughs> essence, it's an autoimmune type of arthritis. So we know arthritis impacts joints, um, and essentially, what it, what's happening is that in, um, cells of the immune system are targeting the healthy tissue in these joints and causing inflammation, causing essentially the cartilage and the bone to s- slowly erode. So as it, as it progresses, it can cause like severe disability. So it's, it's called rheumatoid, there's osteoarthritis mm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. So do you know why it's called rheumatoid in particular? 
Yeah, so it, it produces rheumatoid factor. So mm -hmm. some of the cells involved in rheumatoid arthritis produce a, a compound called rheumatoid factor. So it's produced by B cells that are involved in the inflammatory cascade. So it's basically one of the markers distinguished mm -hmm. between the difference the difference between the different types of arthritis. So yeah, so arthritis is very, very common. It's I think about one in four adults have arthritis, have a type of arthritis. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a huge, huge, um, huge incidence. And then rheumatoid arthritis is probably one of the more severe subsets because of the autoimmune component. So it not only affects the joints, but it can have a systemic effect. So it can have a huge, uh, it can increase the incidence of heart disease and can sometimes attack other organs. So it's a, it's a big problem. Oh, oh, that's it's yeah, really unpleasant for someone who has it. Well, mm. so you get the swelling of the joints and yeah. so on, and it'll it'll be like pain is probably the obvious thing, and restrict the yeah. movement. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, so people with severe arthritis have have trouble doing daily tasks like brushing their teeth, buttoning up a shirt. They they it usually affects the the joints in the the hands and feet pretty quickly. They're some of the first mm -hmm. that are affected and some of the most severely affected. So if they aren't getting sort of medication or interventions quite quickly, within two years, they can already have some sort of joint deformity. Um, there was a stat that I read that was 80% um, of people with RA, rheumatoid arthritis, mm. are disabled within 20 years, mm. which is quite significant if 1% of the population is impacted and mm. they're considered disabled and can't work. Mm. Yeah severely limits quality of life so it can get bad enough to disable you yes 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 which we what would that mean in practical i mean i mean you couldn't walk around the room or, or, or how how severe could that be i guess it really does depend but like a lot of the participants we were talking to say that i have to quit my jobs mm. um I have to think every single day, have to think about how I'm feeling in the morning can i go out and meet my friend for a coffee mm. can i do the gardening or should i just have a rest day and sometimes it's just it's the pain that limits yeah. them other times mm. it's they're unable to do simple tasks so if, yeah. you, if you can't button up your shirt then how do you get outside if you can't brush your teeth how do you how do yeah. you type at a desk for example so mm. if you have a manual job well of course that's immediately mm -hmm. um, and then it's yeah. it, it's going to affect your general fitness so if you can't mm. move too much you're not going to get out and walk you're not going to mm. bicycle mm -hmm. or, or so on and so mm. yeah I, I, I really think it's important. I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this, that you're giving us this description, because it's a really good example of how science can be just something that happens in the lab. Mm. But we're talking about the effects on real people's lives mm -hmm. mm. and so on. Okay, and so now you've been researching the connection between what you eat and rheumatoid arthritis. I don't mm. want to say cause and effect. <laughs> I think you'll be conservative about what you you want to say on that. Of course, yeah. So this research that we've been doing um, is really, we are very, very excited about it, but it hasn't been peer-reviewed yet. So of course we're hesitant to make any, any claims. But we can, of course, <laughs> say what we found, and we're really excited to talk about what we found mm -hmm. when we're exploring the relationship between diet and some of the specific immune cells that are involved in RA in people with RA. Mm -hmm. So some of the work we've done before was all based in mice. So we see some relationships with mice and these cells, and so now we know these cells matter, and so now we want to know what's happening in people with RA. So that's why we're really excited about this study. Mm -hmm. So do you want to describe in a bit more detail, Shweta, how the, the method you, you use? So when I came into your lab, mm -hmm. uh, what did we do then? Yeah, so um, giving a really brief overview, Rod came in. Um, we took a small sample of blood. After about 
20 minutes of banter. Yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Always away. Yes, there, there, there was some guest bagging going on. That's true. Yes. Go on. Yeah, so we take a small sample of blood, and I'll get onto that in a moment. Um, but then he sat with me painstakingly for another, um, I want to say, like two and a half hours um, doing the diet interview, where essentially I go through every single major food component go through a really detailed questionnaire that has 225 different food components and wow. ask him how many of how many oranges he eats on a on average on a yearly basis uh, and so. I was trying to remember and just taking wild <laughs> wild guesses <laughs> yeah okay and then then what did you do so you 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 had a diary or a, a catalog of all the stuff that I would eat in one week mm-hmm. what did you do with that list? Yeah, so then we basically use an analysis platform. I'm able to enter everything that you told me into this platform, and it's a well-used system, so dietitians and other researchers use it. And essentially what we get out of it is a quantification of the macro and micronutrients that you would have on a daily basis. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in a bit more detail soon. And all right, so now you've got all this data. Mm-hmm. You, you've got the, a nutrition profile for one, uh, one rod. <laughs> <laughs> you have my blood sample. Yes. Did you, have you described what you did with the blood sample? Do you Not were, yet. Not yet, no. Yeah, so yeah, the, what we did next was... Um, with cloned all, with, rod, right? <laughs> <laughs> so now we have a new rod in the lab that we cloned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You've cloned me. There's another rod. Feels <laughs> That's what we need. We need another rod. That's why we collect. Uh, Sorry. Too, too many already. But anyway, keep going. Um, essentially, we were, there's particular immune cells that we're really interested in. So we did a bunch of processes to uh, isolate these immune cells. They're called T cells. Um, essentially, we we label them with um, different markers, and then we take them to we took them to A and U, where we use a particular type of machine called a flow cytometer, which is essentially able to identify these markers and count the T cell subsets for us. Okay, and yeah. I don't know if you have my particular results. I'm happy to talk about my <laughs> my answers uh, on air. That's fine. Do you do you know what my particular answers are? Or uh... so yours were very. Average, <laughs> in the best way possible. I'm that's good. Deep, yeah, that's good. Deep, yeah. Deeply offended. Deeply offended. Okay, keep going. When it comes to the immune system, balance is what you want. Exactly. Average is ideal. Average right. and healthy. Yeah. So, and that's actually what we saw across all our control participants. It was all very unsurprising and all very, uh, yeah, all very average. Okay, so, yeah. or, or normal. Can we say normal? Normal, <laughs> yeah, normal, okay. yeah. So, and similar with the other participants that you had? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> Rod's feeling much better about himself <laughs> now. Well, I, I never liked being normal. I think normal is overrated. But, it's just uh, a bell curve anyway. Yeah, exactly. Wrong <laughs> middle bit. Okay, and uh, now you also had in mind doing some genetic testing. Can you can you talk talk a bit about that mm-hmm. and the relationship to rheumatoid arthritis? Why are you interested in genetics and epigenetics? Yeah. Um, so epigenetics for any non-epigenetics uh, or <laughs> bi- biomedical <laughs> researchers out there, it is the study of little molecular tags that are present on your DNA. So if you think about your cell and in every cell of your body or almost every cell of your body, you have DNA and they all have very different jobs. So your skin cells are very different from the cells in your brain to the cells in your liver. And so the, what tells those cells to do different things and make different, uh, make different stuff 
is the epigenome. So it's little molecular tags attached to the DNA that make it closed or open and accessible to make stuff for that cell to do its jobs. So, so that's what the epigenome is. Yeah. And uh, is that passed on from one generation to the next? So would my offspring uh, be influenced by what happens to my epigenome? So uh, essentially, yes. Uh, yes and no. So some of the epigenome is heritable when you, you talk about like your parents versus, versus you. But we, it is all heritable. But we, when we talk about heritability, we're talking about when a cell divides. So when a cell divides and becomes two cells, um, then we are talking about heritability of epigenetics. Um, there are some parts of the epigenome that are heritable from your parents, and we've found really interesting research, in particular in smoking. So if your grandparents smoked, for example, I can look at your DNA and I can tell based on your epigenome, based on certain patterns on your epigenome. Wow, mm. because my dad was a smoker. Yeah. Oh, uh, dad's, dad's fault. Right? So there's okay. huge, uh, huge repercussions for intergenerational health, we're finding. But then some things aren't. So environment can affect the epigenome very closely. So diet, exposure to pathogens, exposure to uh, pollution, that sort of stuff, can leave a specific imprint on your epigenome. And we're still trying to understand if that is always heritable between generations or if it's it sometimes fairly, is or not it's a fairly new field isn't it I yeah think, isn't it? so it, it, but around the last 10 15 years we've been studying the epigenome um so there's still a lot we do not know which is very exciting when you think about it isn't it I, yeah I, I, I like i like that i like the fact that there's things we don't know things we mm. still have to learn mm. and as a quick aside a, a project that i sort of started is uh the, and I'm kind of hitting you this uh, uh, unannounced is... <laughs> Love a good blindside. Here we go. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about, is there a possibility that we are approaching peak science and no. peak technology? <laughs> uh, it, well, it's a question that doesn't get asked and the, the implications of it are profound. And uh, that's a conversation for maybe another day, but, f but feel free to jump in. That was a pretty... Uh, <laughs> Chloe had an answer. Are we are we approaching peak science or peak pedagogy? So, so science in terms of do we know everything? I, I think is is the question you ask when we're saying do we are we approaching peak science? Mm. And I would say no, mm. because the more we learn, the more we realise how complex everything is. Yeah. If you think about just the universe and what people are discovering about that, yeah, I think no, <laughs> I don't think we're even close to approaching it. If I'm looking at something that's inside all of your cells in your body and we don't know how it works, there is... Huge, a, huge <laughs> Until you start... Yeah. Uh, when I, I remember when I first started studying uh, my PhD and I kind of started to realise how little we know. <laughs> it's crazy it's how nuts. little we know. It yeah. Really yeah, it's mine. Boggling yeah. Do you want to throw in a, a thought there, Camille? <laughs> I, I I don't want to say we've we've hit peak science because I just nerdily want to find out more stuff and <laughs> and yeah, as soon as you find out one thing, most experiments will raise more questions than they answer. Every time. Every time you you go looking for something, you'll end up down rabbit holes and mm. and with extra things that you want to find out, which is crazy. Well, here on Fuzzy Logic, we're having a fascinating conversation. <laughs> I'm very pleased to get uh, uh, Shueta and Chloe from the University of Canberra back with Camille on air uh, talking about rheumatoid arthritis and what you eat.
Now, just on the question of peak science, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a really difficult question, I think, but uh, the parallel question is peak technology. And I guess what's in my thinking, the reason why I've asked this question is not so much whether we'll ever know everything, because I, I really think that's impossible because effectively the universe is interval, but uh, mm. infinite. Mm. Uh, what are the big breakthroughs? Are there really big questions that remain unanswered? And I think that's probably more important in my thinking about this question. Oh, it depends on who you ask, though, doesn't it? Mm. So if you ask an epigeneticist <laughs> working in epigenetics, we'll say the epigenome will unlock all diseases. <laughs> and, uh, if you ask uh, uh, someone who works in physics, they'll say the same yeah. thing about something to do with physics. <laughs> As you can see, we're not physics. <laughs> yeah, I, I, seriously I think it always depends who you ask, right? I seriously considered doing this uh, as, as a book project. <laughs> mm. And you know, what strikes me is, apart from the fact it's really, really difficult to answer this question, and, and you couldn't be definitive because, by definition, you don't know what you don't mm, know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but the profile across the different sciences could be very different. In some fields, mm. it would be almost... You, you, you'd be say with some confidence that, yeah, we're probably, as far as we know, not, there's not... There aren't really big questions hanging, but in biology, definitely, I would say, yeah, no doubt, we're, we're still just... What are the fields where we know everything? <laughs> I don't think there's any field where we will ever know anything, yeah. but where we know where now... We've got now. lots of us here today. Great to be here. <laughs> we were talking about the profiling you did of my nutrition, so mm -hmm. let's, let's have a look at that. You brought a copy in. And yes. you want to sort of just sort of pick up. What I'd like to know is uh, if you can tell me mm. uh, where these nu nutritional elements are coming from. So let's just just pick one at random, um, Schwetter, and let's let's start at the top, shall we? <laughs> and and I'm also, I'd like to know what we can say about the health implications of any of these things. Are sure, sure. Um, okay. Well, starting off. Right at the top of the list, we have the breakdown of macronutrients, so carbohydrates, protein, and fat. And essentially, you can find them in all, all types of food, um, so in your veggies as well as your halloumi mm -hmm. that you have in your salads. Um, and so what, what, what results do I have? Oh, I'm happy to share these mm -hmm. uh, with our audience. So I'll talk about percentages. Yeah. Um, for carbohydrates, it was 35% of your diet was mm -hmm. carbohydrates. 16% um, was protein. While forty one percent was fat, so is are they high or are they low? Well, like, let's take the carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And before you answer that, uh, my wife was uh, uh, prone or what you call it, uh, susceptible to type two. Mm -hmm. So we radically reduced the uh, carbohydrates mm -hmm. that we mm -hmm. take, mm -hmm. and that's had a really good uh, oh, awesome effect yeah. for her. And and it's kind of a thing of solidarity. And mm. for my own health, I've I've cut back on my carbs. Have I cut back too much? You perhaps? have cut back, definitely. Mm. Yeah. We should also say that the the ranges we're talking about are uh, affiliated with the Australian Dietary Standards. Yes. So there are different ranges that could be recommended for you if you have a particular condition. For example, if she's at risk of type two, she's most likely your, your partner is most likely to be, like you mentioned, asked to consume less sugars and less less carbohydrates. Okay. Which is 
makes a lot of sense for why your carbohydrates were low. So yeah, you can see they're definitely lower than those okay, Australian so, dietary standards range. So, so the, uh, for so a normal person, nor- not normal. <laughs> your partner is obviously <laughs> normal um, for non-disease conditions. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yep. So I'm in the healthy range on on carbohydrates. Is a, that's I think the short version. It's lower than the recommended range. Yeah. For non-disease conditions, by about ten percent. Okay, so what are the implications of, like, if I was having too much or not enough carbohydrate, what, what would that mean for my health, do you think? Oh, I mean, without, without me being yeah. me specific, you're talking about, <laughs> We're talking about the, 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 the general yeah. case, yeah. So, so carbohydrates are largely linked, carbohydrate consumption is largely linked with energy. So if you don't have enough carbohydrates in your diet, it could mean that you you perhaps have low energy. The thing, uh, is, yeah, the thing is, this is a tricky question because sorry to cut you off, <laughs> <laughs> but like carbohydrates are a very broad category of foods. Like a black bean is carbohydrates, but so is a jelly bean. So it's like, what kind of carbohydrates are we talking about? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's not always the best measure. Yeah. yeah. So if we if we exclude um, things like junk foods, then a lot of the carbohydrate rich foods are usually high vitamin mineral dense foods, so fruits, your vegetables, mm. they've got high amount of carbohydrates. So without looking into it any further than that, and assuming you don't eat too many jelly beans, <laughs> you could miss out on some vitamins and minerals by not having enough carbohydrates, but that's a very, yeah, a very person specific, diet specific question, because yeah. what Shweta said is mm. so important, yeah. Yeah, we and we are talking mm. about people in general here, so you, you mm. obviously can't say too much about you know, a specific mm-hmm. case. Mm. And they're like, there's huge variations. So like how active the person is exactly. and, and your natural metabolism, perhaps. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your genetic predisposition, whatever. Mm. And so I, I rode my bicycle in here today, he says. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually physically, you know, quite active. So, yeah. okay. So I could I could eat a few more carbs and it wouldn't hurt. Okay. If you could eat a few more nutritionally balanced carbohydrate <laughs> foods. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hoe into jelly beans. <laughs> Definitely won't do that. Yeah. Okay. What we what we could also provide participants mm. in a follow up mm. is is information about their consumption of things like fruits and vegetable groups. Yes, yeah. So that I think matters perhaps infinitely, infinitely more than your percentage carbohydrates yeah. is do you consume the recommended number of fruit, servings of fruit or servings of vegetables? which is strongly linked with, mm. um, with certain disease outcomes. So I, I just had a, a quick question about it because you talked about macro and micronutrients and mm-hmm. you said you mm. know, carbs are also list. So what is the difference between a macronutrient and a micronutrient? Yeah, so the, the macronutrients are like the carbohydrates, protein and fats. The micro are more like the vitamins, minerals, so like vitamin A, vitamin C, zinc. Mm. And you could get those with the with the, the they're linked to a macro. So if you got yes. carbohydrates, for example, you'd also get something else in the bargain in a micro. Scale. Yeah, like yeah. we hope that you are getting that. <laughs> you're eating the right foods. Yeah. yeah. So if you're eating complex complex foods, fruits, vegetables, salads, all those sorts of things, yeah, you will get the micronutrients with those with those macros. But once again, sugar, for example, is a carbohydrate, but there are no Nothing micronutrients. Else associated with sugar, for example. Okay, so uh, a, a macro thing is a complex collection of things and probably also a greater volume or greater mass of it you would eat as well. Yes. And micro you implies you, you trace amounts of it. Exactly, milligrams, uh, micrograms, okay. those yeah. sorts. sorts. All right. Often okay. micrograms and mm. milligrams for a couple. 
So we don't necessarily want to go through the whole list here because it'll be, you know, it'll get a bit boring for our listeners, <laughs> I, I guess. But do you want to kind of do, like, I've, we've asked some questions about the stuff that on my nutrition analysis. Mm -hmm. Can we pick up some other things? What, one that stood out for me was salt. Mm. Now, oh, I, I should what say, was salt like? I, I don't add salt or rarely add salt to oh. my cooking, and I never add salt to my or, mm -hmm. or really unless you eat chips let's <laughs> if you're going to have chips you've got to have salt yeah right? mm -hmm. and as a quick aside i was visiting mum recently and mum's you know she's getting on a bit and she smothers everything with salt she has mm -hmm. a pile of salt on the edge of her plate and she dips every mouthful in wow. this mm. salt mm. uh <laughs> All right, so how did my salt uh, intake read on that? Yeah, so according to the data that we have, your salt intake was a little bit higher than the adequate intake ratio, which is between um, 460 so and 920 milligrams. And yours is around, well, we estimate it to be around the 4,000 mark. Um, but to be honest... That wasn't the highest of all the participants we had. Um, and if anything, it was closer to the average again. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess sodium is one of those things that just the current nutritional landscape, it's added in most of the foods. I was reading a paper earlier and they say that, so if you, for example, salmon, fresh salmon um, has a certain amount of sodium in it, like all foods the canned equivalent of fresh salmon has 10 times the amount wow. of sodium. Yeah. 10. So a lot of food processing just adds a lot of salt for mm. various reasons. I don't know too much about that. But a lot of the, the foods that we get, unfortunately, just have sodium as a part of the processing. So yeah. we're sneakily getting things and we don't we think we're doing well and, and we're just it's getting sneaked into the process and we don't even realise. Yeah, yeah. Like salt especially is an yeah. like integral part of a lot of foods. For example, bread. Mm. Yes. bread yeah. If you don't have salt in bread, it won't come out right cakes mm. um any sort of baked goods yeah. have sodium as part of the like carbonate soda exactly yeah. yeah as part of the chemical structure of that food um and then if you think about mm -hmm. the example of canning mm. canning any any action like that canning a food that sort of thing you add a lot of salt in that mm. process for preservation purposes so it's, so it's something to be aware of for yeah. sure so going on a low salt diet would be really really difficult because <laughs> it's very hard to find foods that hasn't got Eating out would be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I had some takeaway. Occasionally I eat takeaway and, uh, yeah. That's what's pushed you over, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it really struck me that when I was with mum, as I mentioned, we, we had some takeaway and I was like really salty, tongue-curling, mm. salty, and we had some noodles left over the next night and I mixed some fresh beans with it. He says, <laughs> says proudly. <laughs> and uh, and we had some. And then we had some bacon. I don't eat bacon, but I put some in Mum's because that's loaded with salt. Yeah. And I was horrified. Mum was still pouring salt <laughs> oh, on. Wow. Yep. So now I think with the elderly people, they lose that sense of taste. And yeah. some of them grew up with it, I think, too, as well. So Bread and you know. drippings, right? Mm. Yeah, my grandparents had bread and drippings. Mm. That's what they talk about eating. So you get habituated and you, you get You just attuned. feel like you need it. Like, I think if when she was much younger, she, there probably wasn't as much salt in the foods that she was having, so it was okay to do it, and now it's just habit that you, know, you have to have the salt mm. with it. Yeah, for sure. And, and they just 
even if it doesn't change the taste at all, it's just the thing you've got to have. Like, mm. and it's a it's a flavour enhancer, mm. isn't it? Like it. Yep. Now that uh, sort of brings in a little uh, trivia uh, item I have in the uh, for, for for us today is that you you can't taste food without saliva apparently. Mm. Yeah, that's Very really interesting. interesting. <laughs> I didn't know, I know. that. I thought it was just all <laughs> based on smell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking. I that think that's actually been been disproven the taste and smell relationship. Mm. If you, you can still taste without smell, mm. yeah, that's you can't taste as strong, but you can still taste without smell. Mm. Is my understanding, but just that's not as just not as well. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. Mm. So if you had the COVID symptoms, you and you lose your sense of smell, then the food doesn't taste as rich, but you can still taste. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's a saliva that's It depends on why you've lost your smell, I guess, because there's other thing, other factors perhaps with COVID as an example that could yeah. be going yeah. on. Yeah, okay, so we're, we're speculating a little bit <laughs> Very here. Very much that's, so, yeah. That's okay. We are a science program and we should acknowledge when we're, we're not certain about what we're mm. talking about. Someone can do a research project on that. <laughs> yeah, do you have people phone in? <laughs> uh, okay. Taste researchers, phone in. <laughs> All right, so I, I don't see an easy way to reduce my salt. Uh, let, let's let's pick another item off the list. Is there anything that uh, that that, that uh, oh sugar? How about sugar? Well, oh, which which is a category of carbs, as we said already, haven't we? Vitamin A yeah. was quite huge. Yeah, vitamin A was. Um, oh, vitamin A. The thing is, it was above the recommended daily intake, but there's no upper limit. Yeah. With vitamin A, unless you're having concentrated vitamin A tablets, there's no um, actual like limit to vitamin A foods. That's, that makes sense. That's really mm. interesting. Now, where where would that be coming from? The vitamin A. I mean, you don't have the model in front of you. Yeah. Carrots. So... How many carrots do you eat? Carrots are high <laughs> yeah. in vitamin A. Yeah. <laughs> fruit and veg. Loads of fruit and veg. Yeah. Beans. You're consuming. Yeah. 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 Uh, vitamin uh, A isn't added to foods as a as a supplement very often it is um uh antioxidant so it's added to lots of like skin products and that sort of thing but when it comes to foods it's a it's now, more expensive than other antioxidants so you wouldn't you now wouldn't am i right life. that vitamin a is a fat soluble not a water yes. soluble do you want to explain that a bit further <laughs> yeah so so you have two classes or different classes of vitamins so some of them are soluble in water some of them are soluble in fat so for example your fat soluble are a vitamin a vitamin e vitamin d and vitamin k so they're the fat soluble ones um, then all the other ones vitamin b vitamin c they're all soluble in water and so what that means is if you have a supplement um, of a water soluble vitamin and you already have enough in your body, for example, it will just be flushed out in the urine. But when it comes to fat-soluble vitamins, you have to be a little bit more careful with things like supplementation because they're stored in the body. Okay, now there's, yeah. a, there's a, a bit of history here. <laughs> Douglas Mawson, do you know this story? And Douglas no. Mawson and his two comrades were trekking across the Antarctic, absolutely miserable conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, they caught uh, in blizzards, and it was incredibly cold, as you'd imagine it would be down mm -hmm. there. They were running out of food. And, of course, they had the dogs. Oh, they ate the dogs, oh. and the organs the are dogs, high in vitamin A. The yeah. dog's liver. And they were poisoning themselves mm. with uh, vitamin A. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Yeah, have heard that story. Yeah, and really, really nasty. So it accumulates in the body, and Morrison, as we know, survived that journey, but mm. uh, two of his comrades did not. Wow. 
It's insane. I mean, yeah. if you think like they, they obviously were thinking, hey, this is all nutrition stuff that yeah. we can do. <laughs> but yeah. We're poisoning oh, ourselves. That's all they had, right? <laughs> yeah. There wasn't a lot of, uh, lot of options. Well, here, here on Fuzzy Logic, I think maybe time for a, a music break. What do you think, think Camille? So. I think so. Uh, and uh, look, our guests are uh, <laughs> having a terrific conversation <laughs> with uh, uh, Shweta uh, Venkaratnam, who's done an honours project, which you believe, on uh, how nutrition uh, connects to uh, rheumatoid arthritis and supervisor Dr. Chloe Goldsmith, University of Canberra. And let's see how we go with some music. Going to try it out here. You're back on Fuzzy Logic on 2XX and this is Camille and Rod Taylor and we also have Dr. Chloe Goldsmith and Shweta Venkaratnaman. Oh my gosh, I stuffed that up completely. <laughs> it is, it's a bit crazy, but we've been analysing Rod's diet here and we're going to do a few more points and find out what they found. <laughs> <laughs> So there's small highlights uh, that you just, just quickly mentioned uh, from my nutrition profile. Do you want to uh, just yeah. tell us that? So I can run through it. So you had a great diet, right? You're eating lots of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. So you had a good, a good um, consumption of all of your vitamins, nice vitamin C, lots of vitamin C, lots of vitamin A, um, plenty of vitamin B12, which is also good to see. What was interesting is you had less consumption of carbohydrates and higher consumption of fats, um, which also corresponded to some of the vitamins that you find in those higher fat foods. So it's indicating that you're not just eating lots of McDonald's, but you're <laughs> eating you know, lots Good of perhaps foods. salmon um, or um, avocados, or I, I should, olive oil, those sorts of things. Oh, yes, I eat avocados. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like avocado. Yeah. I should say I am... I don't eat meat, or I, mm. I eat seafood, which isn't meat, of course. <laughs> well, there's the salmon, right? <laughs> so I some of those, um, of those types of seafood-focused meats are um, higher. So if you're not eating lots of chicken and turkey, which are those low-fat, high-protein foods. But if you're eating more salmon, I'm the exact same way. I did my diet recently, and it was very similar. Yeah. Okay. So it's, that, okay. they're some of the, the highlights that we're indicating. Yeah. And you've got, like, good fats as well, like the omega-3s mm. are high. Really high. Which, are, which is good to see. It's what you want. So omega-3 fatty acids, which yeah. are some of the, um, I guess you could, we don't like to say good and bad fats, yeah. Yeah. but they're fats that are associated with healthful outcomes mm-hmm. um, when you have them in high consumption, which are actually recommended for rheumatoid arthritis, is that you have lots of omega-3s because they're affiliated with less inflammation. Oh, and they're found in things like oily fish. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking the Mediterranean diet so-called <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and olive oil. Yes. Do you want to uh, <laughs> yes. talk about that? So especially for rheumatoid arthritis, um, the Mediterranean diet has been explicitly, very recently Mm -hmm. by the American College of Rheumatology, um, has been um, promoted as the best diet to reduce your rheumatoid arthritis symptoms, is the Mediterranean-style diet. So what does that mean, right? (laughs) Mediterranean is a big place. So it's consumption of fruits and vegetables, consumption of things like oily fish. Whole grains. Whole grains. uh, Olive oil. And what we would call a low inflammatory diet. Mm-hmm. So what was cool about our study was what we, what we think is cool. <laughs> what we like was that we, we looked at everything that our participants ate and we calculated an inflammatory index. So a dietary inflammatory index based on your whole diet. So you get a number, what were the ratio, what was the number between? Yeah, so it ranges between positive 8 
which is considered pro-inflammatory. That's very, I, it would be very high, extremely high, would it? Yeah, extremely, wow. strongly pro-inflammatory <laughs> diet. So before you go on, yeah. how would I theoretically achieve an eight if I was silly enough to, to want to do that? Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> uh, I, nothing good, what you would consider healthy in your diet. and yeah. all, the, all the bad things. Really yeah. high processed meat. Perhaps, yeah. If you only ate sausages, let's say, <laughs> which I never, I never eat at all. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I don't. I, it's hard to even yeah. imagine what a diet like that would look like. Okay, and okay. I rated where on that? So, so the range goes from negative nine, yep. to positive eight, yep. And your was yours is in the middle at point two three. Wait, sorry, no, no. point six seven. Looking at the wrong number. Zero point six seven. Yes. yes. Which Zero. is just. Marginally pro inflammatory, yes. isn't it? Yeah, very marginally. Slightly. Yeah, yeah, very, very. Slightly. I wish we could have said neutral, yeah. um, but that's not what the the scaling system tells us. Oh no, us. no, I don't yeah. want you to. <laughs> you know, we 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 we're science here. We don't want you to go changing anything. Uh, now, if I want, oh, what what was the with the participants that you had? Mm-hmm. Where were they in general on that score? Yeah, so the average score that yep. we saw with all our participants was positive one point, I think it was 1.3. Oh, oh that's ha- not bad at all. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you're below average yeah. for our study. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've always thought I was below <laughs> average. Okay, all right. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And would it be possible to get, like, a negative score? I mean, is that reasonably achievable? You're injecting so? turmeric or something. <laughs> yeah. Add into your yeah. veins, so it's, I think, like, some participants did have a negative score, but it wasn't far off yours. It was negative 0.23. Okay. So mm-hmm. it is possible, but, um, yeah. It, but it quite hard work, do you think? <laughs> yeah. Because one thing we, we haven't talked about really is we've got all the technical evaluation of what we eat, the nutrition analysis. We haven't talked about food as an experience. Mm. It's part of life. Like we enjoyed a cup of tea and mm-hmm. coffee before mm. we went on air. And that's a social thing. It's something mm. we enjoy. It's very part of being human, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Food and society just go hand in hand, mm. right? We talk about Mediterranean diet and that's a place. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's a yeah. culture that exists there around food yeah, where they make olive oil and yeah. they, they catch fish, that sort of stuff. Mm. Well, we so do. You go to a wedding, you, you go out <laughs> exactly. to dinner with friends. It, mm. It's really mm. so important. Now, I think you've got some pretty interesting results. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What, tell us. Tell us. I'm, I'm <laughs> itching to find out what you learned from this. So before Shweta says, we have to say it hasn't been Mm peer-reviewed yet. We've just finished our data collection. We'll be submitting this to scientific journals, you know, within the coming weeks. We have one experiment to finish. Mm. But we are excited to share what we've found without (laughs) overstating ourselves, of course. Yes, yeah. And you can correct me if I say anything that I'm not allowed to. (laughs) But um, basically, we wanted to look at all the nutrients that people were consuming and relating them to the immune cells that we were looking at. And what we found is that looking at that dietary inflammatory index that we just talked about, a more pro-inflammatory diet was associated with some of these pro-inflammatory cells, which is really interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Mm. Yes. So that's a correlation, is it not? Exactly. We're not 
defining causation. No, just, correlation. Yeah. There right. is something there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So do you want to, for our listener, the difference between correlation and causation? <laughs> so a, a correlation just essentially plots two variables against each other on an X and Y axis. So it shows that as one goes up, the other goes up or down. But that's not uh, implying causation, which is uh, something causes the other variable to change. Okay. So you very different things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, there is, I believe, a correlation between the migration of storks in the uh, Himalayas <laughs> mm. and the birth rate in England. Exactly. There you yeah. go. Yeah. You could, yeah, it's like saying um, <laughs> I have uh, this special rock and I've never been eaten by a tiger. Therefore, <laughs> this rock <laughs> is protecting me <laughs> from tigers. It's an yeah. anti-tiger rock, but that's not a causative relationship. <laughs> it's a correlation. So that's a yeah. real, a real trap for scientists, isn't it? It's mm, really yes, difficult to untangle what went two things occur together, uh, does one mean the other? Or they could even cause each other, or maybe there's a third or a fourth or a fifth. Yeah. yeah. yeah and sure. with nutrition... Mm. It's very complex. So complex. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Lots of variables so, that interplay there. Yeah. Things so, like socioeconomic factors also affect what you're able to access to eat mm-hmm. and the types of food you, you eat. prepare your food. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you actually, don't have an oven, you can't cook yeah. foods in the oven, you need more likely to fry them on a pan, that sort yeah. of stuff. Well, I, I, so now you've got this correlation. Mm. What is the next step towards finding a causation? Mm. So <laughs> the next step is we're really excited to look at the relationship um, between the epigenome and these cells. So we've collected the cells from our participants. So we have your cells, Rod, in the freezer. <laughs> I hope you've been kind to them. <laughs> no, well, then they're not alive. We did kill them already. So we've extracted the DNA from those cells and we're going to do something called epigenome sequencing. So we're going to look at um, the DNA in those cells and look at what the epigenetics is, is, is telling us in the different types of cells we collected. So the in pro-inflammatory cells, we collected anti-inflammatory cells. We're just calling them that mm-hmm. in different states. They mean different things. Yeah. But um, we've collected those cells and we're going to look at the little molecular tags on the DNA and then once again look at some correlative relationships between environment. And then the next step is to do interventions. So we will... If we continue to see this inflammatory index, um, and also things like fruit and vegetables, mm-hmm. they also correlated with oh, immune cells, right? Consumption of the absence of fruits and vegetables, and um, correlated with more of these pro-inflammatory cells. So, where the next step would also be to be an intervention study. So, wow, this is uh, <laughs> this is amazing, and in fact, there's multiple steps in this correlation, isn't there? Because mm. there's a correlation between what I eat. And then mm. what's in my nutrition, um, mm. you know, actually within my body. I'll have to get Camille to uh, <laughs> tell us about her shirt a bit more <laughs> yeah, if yeah. we have time. <laughs> and then there's the presence of the inflammatory cells and then mm. there's epigenome and then there's uh, the rheumatoid arthritis itself. Mm. Yeah. And that could be affected by lifestyle, like injury, physical mm. injury and so on. And gender too. I mean, you guys also had split into male and female groups, didn't you? Well, I'm very Good glad question. you said that too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, ah. yes, but yeah, actually, yeah, there's a three times higher incidence of rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis in females. Oh, wow. So a lot of the research is focused on females for, for good reason, but of course the, it impacts males as well. And so we're really focused on recruiting an equal representation of both males and females. Based on the immune stuff, we actually found some differences 
which is really interesting. A very different um, proportion of different cells in men and women. So we'd see less of these pro-inflammatory cells in women, and we'd see more of them in men. So it was very interesting. Wow. And it's been, the, yeah, the difference has, has been poorly cra- characterized. So it's, yeah, something that we definitely want to investigate further or needs yeah. to be investigated further. That's really, really interesting mm. because I was listening to something on the radio a while ago saying how so much medical research is biased towards men, yes, mm. the male uh, subjects, mm. and the, the, the difference between genders wasn't really... Because they just assumed that women would be the same, so they just studied yeah. dudes and... yeah. Assume that, the and that's yeah, a huge problem in, <laughs> yeah. in biology is, is we don't people have excluded women because there's usually More some differences variables. because there's the hormonal variations mm-hmm. throughout the women's menstrual cycle, so they just exclude women because it's easier <laughs> to understand a mechanism in men only. Yeah. It's been the same for epigenetics research because women have mm-hmm. two X chromosomes, so. They exclude them because it confuses their results, which is a huge problem. <laughs> did you ask your women subjects where they are at their menstrual cycle, or is that getting... We up? actually didn't. Our, our participants were all over 58, so menstrual cycle was unlikely to be a huge factor in, in older women. But uh, we asked them about medications, so things like hormonal replacement therapy for women undergoing menopause. That's something that we definitely had to consider. And, shows just and it wasn't hard, was it? <laughs> just to ask nope. the question. <laughs> right? <laughs> Studying the menstrual cycle is important. We do have some other studies where we're looking at immune fluctuations across the menstrual cycle. So it's another study we're really excited about because, once again, poorly characterized. We don't well, know what I, happens. I'm really amazed, Shweta. You've done all this as, as an honours project, <laughs> and uh, that's, a, that's a really impressive piece of work. Uh, and well, well done. It's, it's a real pleasure Thank to have you, you on. And look, I really want to keep in touch with what you, you do and where you go with this project. I can tell Camille is also keen. I'm super keen. <laughs> we love rabbit holes and tangents. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's so much to go. And well, we're, we're approaching the end of our, uh, of our time here. We are. On Fuzzy Logic. Now, mind expanding, ladies. <laughs> I, I like to end the show by saying what's in our column, our Ask Fuzzy column. I wonder if maybe you can write one for us. <laughs> I would love to. Sure. <laughs> I would love to get one from you. And, then, and maybe your work is quietening down a little bit. But uh, to, today uh, I'm thinking about, oh, what was the question? Oh, Clever Hands. <laughs> Have you heard the story of Clever Hands? Clever Hands, no. Now, okay. Here is an example of the scientific method. You've given a really good explanation and of how complicated all the variables are. Hans was a horse, and Hans could answer all sorts of complicated questions like uh, the difference between gold, silver, brass, and so on. He could count. Uh, he could say whether this person was a military officer or not, and so <sighs> How did Hans, a horse, do that? And... I think I didn't put in the column is how did Hans actually understand or interpret the human speech and language? That is really non-trivial, very non-trivial, right? But a horse could do all those things. How? How? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) He was watching the body language of his trainer. Oh, Oh, there you go. Yeah, all the light bulbs coming on. (laughs) And so his trainer, who was quite innocent in this, and he would watch intently the horse, but the horse was intently watching him. Wow, he he knew his tells. His head, and he'd count 
five times 15, you know, uh, duh, duh, <laughs> and, and, and Hans would stamp his foot and then count the number of the answer. And they really thought this was a super, super smart horse. And so they got a, a, a scientific investigator. We're talking about 1907, I think. Okay. Wow. So it's quite a while ago. Mm. He isolated the variables. So mm. he hid the trainer from the mm. horse or uh, they did all sorts of variations where people mm. watching the horse could mm. or couldn't see. And that was how he figured out that it was the, the trainer giving him the sign. The trainer. Uh, yeah. And an interesting coda, which I might follow up on this one, is uh, that having learnt all this and his trainer cooperated fully with the research, but it was pretty clear. Mm. Hans was really, really clever, but not, he couldn't do mathematics. <laughs> he couldn't read or write and ask fuzzy column. <laughs> you would have asked him though, wouldn't you? <laughs> he, he might write the future one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've forgotten where I was going with that now. <laughs> oh yes, but he was smart enough to to pick up on yeah, the clever horse still. Oh, the, the body, body language, language yeah. was quite subtle. Yeah, a lot of humans can't do that. <laughs> no, you're right. Some of us are losing that, aren't we? Yeah. With the disconnect with too much technology sometimes, right? Yeah. But it, it's it is an example. I think would you agree of, of how the scientific method has to pull emotions out of yes a question. Exactly, yeah. So uh, our whole job is trying to prove ourselves wrong. So we come up with something that we think could work, and then l our entire job is to throw everything at that question to prove it wrong. And if we can't, then maybe we can say something about a quality yeah. relationship. That, yeah. That's pretty. That's a pretty tough thing. Pretty and uh, the, the trainer went on, actually. He kept doing the shows. He was quite... A celebrity, so I might write a column to follow up on that. <laughs> We're out of time. We, we are out of time, Rod, but it's been lovely having Dr. Chloe Goldsmith. And I'm going to try for your surname, but I'm probably going to wreck it. Um, Shweta Venkataraman. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Rod Taylor, of course, and I'm Camille, and I'm one of your fuzzy regulars. So. And uh, Dr. Chloe Colesmith. Uh, I got her. At I was stars. Did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so we'll be back with more fuzzy soonish, probably in the yeah, near future. But we got lots more coming up.